Welcome, everyone, to the Parent Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Chikumba. My pronouns are he, him, and his. And today, I'm joined by my amazing co-host, who is finally back from vacation and partner in crime, Lisette Trujillo. Hello, everyone. Lisette here. She, her, Aya. I'm so happy to be back. I'm sorry that I was gone for so long. Yes, we totally missed you. But this is episode 11, and we've got another one of our amazing P-Tech alum on the show today. That's right. Today we're interviewing an amazing woman in Mama Bear, Ngozi Najai. I'm so excited she's here. Yes, I'm so looking forward to this show, folks. So welcome again, once again, to the Parent Advocate Podcast. Let's get started. Oh my God, Lizette, welcome back. It feels like forever, literally forever since we've talked, since I've seen you. What the hell has been going on in your life that you've been away from me for so long? Steven, my dad planned like a 16-person family vacation in Disneyland, and it was wild. And there was one night where like all the adults were like, we're done, but the kids weren't. So I took the kids to eat, and my little niece um, was like, I'm recharged to a 1,000. And I was like, oh, no, I'm like at 12. (laughs) So wait, how long were you gone? How long were you there? Well, it was six days total, but it was four days like in the Disneyland park. And so the kids, I look, I was the fun aunt, but I paid a price. I was real tired afterwards, but Daniel had the best time. My dad was happy. The kids were happy. I mean, I think that's all that matters. Although I am going to tell you, I was feeling some kind of way. Like I've never, I don't really share this with people when people are like, oh, you just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do? And he was like, I'm going to Disneyland. For the longest time I have been like, Disney was a racist. Oh my God. All Disney the was an out and out racist. So when my kids and I took our trip to a theme park, we went to university, uh, Universal Studios Orlando because I was like, hell to the gnaw i am not gonna give this cracker a red cent of my money knowing the way he was doing people of color women oh he did women dirty he did women dirty at disney so i was like i cannot and will not however i also recognize that i can't be raining on other people's parade with all my hostility towards this man but there is there is simmering hostility towards Disney and all that he encompasses. Although in all fairness, there has been such good stuff coming out of Disney that I can't be all the way mad, just a little mad. And eventually I may get over it, but it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while. So I was looking at you some kind of way when you were at Disney, I was just like, no, it's valid and fair. Daniel and I talk about it all the time. Like, but I, so there's a story behind Disney. When my dad came to the U S Um, he said he would see like all the white families go to Disneyland. And he was like, oh, if I could just afford to go to Disneyland, it means I made it. So for him, it was like, like this, like thing to aspire to get to go. So he would, he made this promise to my mom that he would do so well that he would be able to afford to take us to Disneyland every year. And that's what he did. So growing up, that was like our family vacation. Mind you, it's a drive for like, it's like a six hour drive to get there. So, but for him, it was like, I'm doing this special thing that I always wanted to do as a child for my children. So it's a, it, 
it's like a thing for him. I don't know if he like pays attention to all the shit Disney does, but he likes to take us to ride the ride. So, I mean, but you're right. Like there's a, there was a lot, there's a lot that happened that people kind of turn a blind eye to when it comes to Disney and representation. Um, we were there during pride. My, I don't know if it was on purpose or an accident, but we were there during pride. So Daniel was like, Oh my God, there's so many rainbows and trans people and trans employees. And like, I think, you know, people are doing what they can, but there is so much to be said about the history of Disney. I like, though, what you just said. First part is you and Daniel talked about it because the intersectional nature of Disney and its history, its complicated history, is important to talk about and not gloss over. Second, Disney is on, I think, the front foot when it comes to kind of owning the fact that it's this behemoth in the space and that it can do things that can materially make things better for lgbtq plus people so when they stood up against the satan and don't say gay in florida they didn't have to you know like many other brands they could have succumbed and folded when they started getting backlash but they didn't they're like you know what we're way smarter than you to satan so look here this is what we finna do and just played him for the sucker that he is it's like you can't make us go away we can stop bringing money into your state and we can stop doing things that benefit your state, but you're not going to hurt us because you're just a little man, a little scared little man. And they changed certain rides. Like they used to have a, like a, their very first like animatronic was Abraham Lincoln, but they changed it to the words of Frederick Douglass. And then obviously they took out Splash Mountain and that's going to be like Tiana's ride, right? But they've taken a long time. I, you know, growing up as like a, like a little brown girl, I didn't see myself reflected in those princesses, right? So I think, I think, yeah, everyone's, I don't know, they got a bajillion dollars. It's a lot of people. I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> you talk about as a little brown better. girl not seeing yourself. How many little black girls saw themselves? Oh, Even to this day, they got maybe one or two now. But like, yo, it was not a thing. Seeing yourself as a person of color. What's up, Chewy? Seeing yourself as a person of color in Disney was not a thing. Unless you knew the history of Mickey Mouse and his white gloves and the minstrel nature of all those animations. Like, that was the only time you saw yourself. And you saw a caricature of yourself being reflected back and they were making guap off of But enough with your vacation. What else happened? What else happened since the last time I saw you? I mean... I don't know. It's been a blur, but Daniel's doing really well. Our Univision piece came out that we did. That was dope. I was really proud of Daniel. I think hearing from our kids like directly makes a world of difference. And so I was really proud of him. My sister-in-law, it works for Univision. And so they asked her, she has not, she called me. She's like, I know I have not been a part of your life for years. And I know that I should have been better and done better and this is my way of like can you know trying to you know lend my voice so she wrote something for you or did something for univision and i have not seen it it's supposed to come out but apparently it's like five pages and i'm like what did she write that was like she hasn't been in our lives she wasn't wow. part of our journey so i'm nervous and scared so maybe it was like a self-owned maybe she was just like i am the worst relative ever 
and these are all the ways in which I was bad. Number one. I that or it's gonna be like, I don't know. I'm terrified. It could be one or the other one. But I mean, she was like, I think parent I what did she say? I think families need to educate themselves. So we'll see. We'll see. I yeah, don't know. We'll see. We'll see. All right, enough about you. Now okay. let's talk, look, we could talk about me. First thing is Bougie made the travel team. Now, anyone who knows, knows that I have been fighting the good fight for my son and soccer. We've been playing rec league soccer, which is what I call remedial soccer because these kids are so bad, universally bad. And as the coach yelling and screaming and trying to cajole and manipulate kids on the field from the sidelines is probably one of the most painful and difficult things I've had to do as, as an adult person. And so now that he's made a travel team, which has a trainer and a coach and all the things, I can now watch more fluid soccer. Very happy for, for, for me, you know, forget Fuji. I'm very happy for me that I no longer have to just have really bad soccer and Chima's going to be playing for Howard when he goes back. So I get two kids playing proper soccer. Like I am in Shangri-La right now. I'm very excited about that. I'm super excited for your kids. Dude, you and me both. <laughs> two father's day was banging. I just had the best father's day. I got all kinds of Adidas gear, like all kinds of Adidas gear. I got V-neck t-shirts. Now, Anyone who knows Adidas knows that Adidas makes the three stripe things. And so a lot of their shirts have like three stripes on the shoulders. I'm not on a football team. I'm not wearing something with stripes on my shoulders. That is not the look for the kid. But she got me some V-necks that do not have stripes on the shoulders, like a rare with some jeans. So I'm feeling kind of good about myself. Nicole keeps me dripped in Adidas. So Father's Day, Adidas gear, win-win, poor moi. One What'd day we're going to talk about the problematic history of Adidas. We all know. It's already, come on now. <laughs> come on now. But all I love it. I dream about slavery. <laughs> all right. Uh, what I get, Chewy? Dude, I was the worst. <laughs> I forgot about Father's Day, and we were on this 16-person vacation. I was horrible. I felt deep guilt. So Wait. I can't ever give him shit ever again about forgetting something. You didn't do anything for Chewy or your dad? No. Wow. I know. Okay. I apologize a lot. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. But next year is going to be popping. You come with yeah, a vengeance. I, have to do, I, I was like, I'm the worst person ever. Put all the reminders in your calendar now. All right. If you need some help, just holler at your boy. I will help you. Okay. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Also, also plus two and last week was the Capital City Pride networking event in Trenton. I was part of the host committee. I was invited by Janine LaRue, who is part of who we had on our show, who is part of the Garden State Equality Foundations, like some board, whatever, president, chief executive, whatever. So she's the bomb. And she brought a whole bunch of politicos and lobbyists and members of the community. It was at the Hooper's review right here in Trenton next to the uh, baseball stadium. It was awesome. It was a rainy day, but you would not have known it because people came through thick. It was a really great event, a, a nice way to kind of um, set off pride really nicely. And then I think the most important thing that has happened since the last time I spoke to you, 
I should I should have led with this, but I buried the lead, as they say. The Dads has been picked up by Netflix. Wait for it. Hold on, hold on. Don't clap yet. And Dwayne Wade has come on as an executive producer. Holla at your boy. Woo! It's so exciting that Chewie is super excited. You have no idea, Lisette. You have no idea. Ever since he came out and publicly supported Zaya, I was just like, I need to holla at that dude. He and I need to just have a conversation because he's the kind of person, and, and in my mind, I have seen this conversation take place. He's the kind of person who, because of his, you know, his athletic accolades and prowess, because of his storied position as an athlete, because of his presence as a celebrity, he has the platform visibility and access to the voices that matter in this space. So there's like the Breakfast Club and and Nori has a has a podcast where his guests get on and say the craziest ish. And there's never anybody in that room who can say, hey, you know what? How about you think about this this way? How about you how having somebody there to challenge what his guests say, if there are other athletes, if there are other celebrities, like they're not going to listen to a regular Joe, but they're going to listen to somebody like Dwayne Wade. And they're going to listen to somebody who is now living it, who can now challenge the things you're saying. Like his, his statement when he was being interviewed at the Met Gala was everything because he took that platform. He took that stage to say something that people aren't saying and aren't hearing. And I think that just, it can make such a big difference. So the fact that Netflix picked up the dads is awesome because it's going to put the story in front of millions of households. But the fact that Dwayne Wade is now attached to the project and what can come out of this little 10 minute short, I think is even more exciting. And so I'm really, I'm looking forward to what the future holds in this regard. I'm excited for you all too. I think the stories of dad supporting, and I think, I think what, um, what makes, them as a couple, Gabrielle Union included, is that they're very much like, you know, they come with the same kind of fierceness that we all do. Like, I'm a firm believer that people will treat your children the way you do. And so they were like, no, you will not be disrespectful. And I value that so much. That's right. That's right. But we have a whole show. We've got a guest waiting in the wings. So how about we quit this banter and get to today's topics? All right, let's do it. So Arkansas's anti-trans law, which banned gender-affirming health care for minors in the state, was recently struck down by a federal court in that state. And, and the, the, the court gave a, a myriad of reasons for why it did so, which we can get into. But the fact of the matter is that that law is no longer enforced in the state of Arkansas and minors can get health care. And the court also stated that the law violated equal protection, due process, and the First Amendment. So it was really strong. And the fact that it struck it down indefinitely is has the rest of us waiting for what's going to come out of Tennessee, out of Florida, and uh, Missouri and Kansas, right? So one of the things that I really appreciated about the way the, the court addressed the, the law in Arkansas was their meticulous detailing for each of those grounds that you just talked about, equal protection. They essentially said that the law violated the equal protection 
of the transgender patients themselves because it discriminated against them because of their gender identity, which is expressly prohibited by the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. And the fact that they articulated that argument is important because it serves as the basis for other courts who are going to be dealing with the exact same law because these are cookie cutter laws that are in place across this country. It serves as the basis for other justices to look at this rationale or reasoning and to be able to apply it to their own cases. Similarly, the way the court looked at the due process, they determined that the parents of these transgender youth were denied due process because it prevented them from making parental decisions for making decisions with their medical providers and their children about the appropriate types of care that they were entitled to. And again, the, the court took great pains to explain that in their reasoning for why this law was struck down. Similarly, for the First Amendment, they found that the law violated the First Amendment rights of the medical practitioners, of the actual doctors who were being precluded from giving medical advice to their patients about the myriad of options that were available to them because it took gender affirming healthcare off the table. So they could not speak about something that they have a right to speak about as doctors. Again, excellent analysis, excellent breaking down of each of these constitutional principles, principles that this law has violated and certainly setting up the roadmap for other courts to look at to say, hey, yes, we are dealing with the same things here. This is why this law cannot stand in our state as well. So I'm super excited about what the future may hold. Again, you know, justices are not bound by decisions in other states, but at the federal level, I think there is some level of precedent that's applied and hopefully the factual circumstances of these other call, uh, these other cases will be similar enough for uh, uh, the precedential value to apply. And the fact that it describes all three parties being in, impacted, that kind of will help lead to how we talk about the impacts of these laws, as we have been, right? But it will give kind of more grounds for what we lay out when we talk about harms. That's exciting. I hadn't Absolutely. read it. Absolutely. So um, in other news, um, Delaware State Senator Sarah McBride launches her campaign to be the first transgender member of Congress. And having met Sarah immediately upon her first election in November of 2020, when she left HRC, because we met her at HRC, I met her at HRC, and then she became the Delaware State Senator. And I was just like, oh, goodbye, but hooray for you. And now she's set her sights on the halls of Congress, where I think, once again, she'll be doing amazing things. Representation matters. And like, I think it's great. She always, and I read her book and she talks about how she like envisioned herself in like this very specific way, like as the president, right? Like she envisioned her, her career path uh, in politics. And so like, it's amazing to see her on that journey. And I think kids being able to see themselves reflected in, in these people taking powerful positions is amazing. Absolutely. One of the more important things that I think about Sarah when I think about Sarah is the fact that she's she's not leading with being transgender. She's leading with being a public servant. She's leading with being an effective elected official. She's leading with being aware of the needs of her constituents and you know wanting to be a fulcrum for change 
in the halls of government. She's she's so focused on getting the job done and doing the work and not focused at all at being transgender. And it's so funny because our kids always say that the least interesting thing about me is the fact that I'm transgender. And Sarah McBride is of that same ethos. She's like, forget that part. Like, sure, there, it's a part of me. Absolutely. It's an aspect. It's an element. But it's not the defining element of me. For me, the defining element is my service is the service that I come with, is how I comport myself day to day in service to my community and my constituents. And I think in that respect, she will be a powerful member of Congress. And I'm like, I'm going to make a prediction. You know, the over under on Sarah being elected is like high because I just think she's one of those really effective individuals at what she does. And I think she will be a really effective congressperson. I agree with you a thousand percent. We're going to have to put our money where our mouth is and donate to her campaign. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Now, since we're talking about effective elected officials, let's talk about an ineffective elected official. There is the Kansas attorney general who is suing to prevent trans people from changing their birth certificates in the state. Now, mind you, mind you, there was a consent decree that Kansas agreed to after being sued by trans people for violating their constitutional rights around this very issue. And yet here we are again with this Kansas attorney general attempting to prevent people from changing their birth certificates. Like I can't even get over this dude. Yeah. In a statement, attorney general Kobach said, if you were a person who transitioned and got a birth certificate reflecting a different sex, that piece of paper can remain with you. There's nothing in the law that forces someone to surrender a certificate that was changed. However, the state's data will reflect the original sex at birth. That's just like so harmful and defeats the purpose of having amended your birth certificate. It's, It's one of these things that's just so frustrating, especially as an immigrant, you understand the importance of identity documents matching uh, who you are. Uh, I I couldn't imagine how frustrated trans people must be in their state, knowing that they already went through the process of updating their identity documents, of suing, probably suing their state. I know in the state of Arizona, there's an ongoing lawsuit. We were initially litigants in that, um, and then eventually Daniel got his birth certificate. But I can't tell you the look on Daniel's face when his amended birth certificate arrived. And it was such a process, right? Like, but it makes a world of difference for trans people to have identity documents that match that match their gender and correct information. It just, it makes everything so much better. I know from my experience here in New Jersey, which was nothing like what's happening in Kansas and certainly nothing like what you experienced in Arizona, it has made the difference, all the difference because the birth certificate has been changed. Gender markers changed. Driver's license changed. Passport changed. Medical records changed. Transcripts at school changed. Everything aligns with who he is and how he sees himself. And that has gone such a tremendous way for towards him seeing himself the way he has always seen himself. Everything now aligns. And now we're working on, you know, getting surgery and just dealing with medical providers. But it's like, it's part of that evolution of themselves that helps them to grow into the person they have always seen have always been and the rest of us have to catch up imagine if you're in a state where 
you can't achieve that congruence where there's a a little man standing in the way of you achieving that congruence for no reason there's there's no reason data collection go kick rocks dude this is not a real thing it's not a real thing and yet and still he's on this mission to prevent people from achieving that congruence it's just so frustrating well and as a parent who had like a small person going through the school system you know when schools even though schools are not allowed to do this, but when schools say that they'll only update records based on birth certificate, you're talking about like every little thing has to be negotiated from, you know, lunch cards to yearbooks to, you know, uh, letters that are sent home. So it becomes like, just like a paper trail of (laughs) inaccuracy, right? Um, That parents are being forced to kind of like learn how to navigate systems, much in the way that immigrants who don't have updated documents do, like trying to figure out how to make it work. And that's just so inappropriate in a country that defines itself as being the land of the free, but we all know what that really is. Come on now, come on now. That's a whole nother show. (laughs) I don't even know where you're going here. But you know what? Today's guest knows all about pushing back against efforts to marginalize and eliminate spaces for marginalized people. So let us bring her onto the show. Ngozi Anaji is the founder of Aku Brokerage Services, a firm she started after a 20-year career in the insurance industry, recognizing a growing desire for insurers to better understand the insurance programs that they were managing. Aku was founded to explore innovative ways in which to protect assets while recognizing the fundamental need for effective risk and claims management. Everyone, please welcome Ngozi Inaji to the show. Yay! I'm so excited for our guest today, and I say it like I'm yelling, but I really am excited. I'm so happy to see you, Ngozi. I'm happy to be here, so hold on, hold on. Because I love you guys so much, we're going to have to do some corrections here. So friends, family... Ngozi Anaji. How about that? Oh my God. Okay. Ngozi Anaji. So we're gonna have to we're gonna have to go back and do your your intro. Okay. We can't nope. this can't be a life laughable moment. No. <laughs> Ngozi doesn't want to do a do-over. Why are you looking at me like <laughs> no 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 no, no. Steven, nobody about Steven. like I need accents. Okay. For those of you who don't know, Ngozi is the mother of Andrea Yearwood, the Connecticut teenager whose success as a transgender track athlete led to lawsuits attempting to ban them from participating in sports in their state. Ngozi, what was that like? What was that initial feeling like when you knew that these lawsuits were coming? Fear. Just straight fear. Fear on so many different levels. Well, first, let me just back up and say, hey, it is great to be here with you guys. I love hanging out with the two of you always and forever. Um, my little black and brown family here. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm sure that you similarly felt the same feeling in, in different situations, but definitely that first initial feeling was fear because we didn't know. We didn't know what it meant. We didn't know the impact. Um, I didn't know, you know, how I should be protecting her as a result of these lawsuits and and what even the school district or the city or the county were going to do, right? The teachers, the principal. All I knew was that I we were vulnerable and she was she was really risking her life 
in, in, in all, for all intents and purposes. And I was fearful. It was straight fear. You know what's so crazy about that is that that was not what I thought you were going to say. And mm-hmm. I didn't think that you were going to say that because, you know, we are both up from Nigerian stock and we are just, if nothing, just very aggressive. We're, we're, mm-hmm. we're always on the front foot. We're always like, you know, if you cut me, yeah, I may bleed, but you finna bleed more. Like, that's just how we do. And so my thinking is that you went and you got your, you know what I'm saying? Your machete. <laughs> Okay, because someone was finna get cut. Like we all have machetes. Like this is amazing. Because we're immigrants, we're people, we're 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 people of immigrant backgrounds, and so there are certain implements that you have in your household that serve multiple purposes. And so I can tell you for a fact, and maybe this is the testosterone part of me speaking, that if you come for mine, I'm coming for you with. Two machetes, like there's going to be one in each hand and one in my belt. Like I'm not backing down, but I get that because it's also the unknown. Like you didn't yeah. know what was happening. Your kid, your, your kids running races and suddenly there's, you're being served with a lawsuit. Yeah. You know, so part of that is that, so, so yes, yes, we are aggressive. Right. And I did have this mama bear you know, I would literally stand at track meets with my chest out, my arms folded and scanning the track meet. Like, look at me if you want to, right? I'm, I'm coming for you directly beeline the whole nine. But I also think through this process of being the parent of a trans person, it created a sense of vulnerability in me, right? Where you have to own that. You have to understand that these individuals, our children are risking their lives. And, and yes, to the extent that we can be big, bad, and strong for them and, and protect them, we still have to sit with this level of like, wow, right? What, what, are, what are we walking into and how do we deal with that and the emotional side of that? So it humbled me to really rec- recognize that this fear I had, like I had to convert it to something, right? And that's where all the advocacy work comes into play. But you're right, Stephen, look, I mean, I, I didn't cussed out a number of other parents. <laughs> like, like I had to cuss out some kids too. Like, I don't know where your mama is, but let me let me tell you something about what you're not going to do right here on this track meet while my daughter is running. You're just not. And I, and, you know, granted, I mean, they probably could have locked me up a few times too, based on that. But again, I, I I think initially it was just fear. And then came that kind of reaction around, okay, how, how do you guard against that fear? It's attack, right? It's attack. Duke's up, you know, my fists are balled. Any one of you, to your point, come for me and mine. You think you're going to use your life? It's going to be more than your life. It's going to be your whole Everything. Like your whole family. Like it's going to be, Yo, it's gonna be your everything. Absolutely. Your everything. Well, and that level of protection changes the experience, right? Yeah, like, like I know for us, like navigating, like Daniel did sports, but it, we had a really bad experience. So we like tapped out of that. Right. Um, uh, and I can share that at another time, but I, I took the tactic in Daniel's school because they had a non-discrim and they were like, protect your privacy so Mm -hmm. much like Ngozi's experience I was too like I would show up I didn't interact with parents I didn't know Mm -hmm. or trust I Mm -hmm. did not build new relationships you know like people go and they like build like 
community in their kids' sports teams and they know everyone and you're on the booster or whatever. And as a parent of a trans youth, you know that you have to be guarded and protected. And so you don't have that experience. You're not, I, I, I took it as, yeah, I don't know any of these people. I'm not going to trust any of them. And so I'm at 10 paces back. Um, and it sounds like you did the same thing just for the protection of Andrea and making sure she got to do what she loved and also to protect you and your family. So it's, it, you know, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I, for a long time, I thought that was only my experience, right? So even to this day, like I have four kids and you can ask anyone in the school district that we live in, I don't talk to them. <laughs> no, like, they think I'm so unfriendly, <laughs> but I talk to the people I need to. Right, I just well, yeah. will not befriend new parents. Well, and, and but my thing was like I, but going back to your point of like I don't trust you, right? Like I don't trust you because you know you're you're allowing things to happen in our school district that you know. Granted, if if it was the shoe was on the other foot, granted you'd speak up, you'd you know stand up, do whatever. But now it's my child and you're not, and so oftentimes to your point, I would you know I'd be in rooms and I'd sit back in the back corner, right? Listening and not interacting. And to this day it has adversely affected my ability to be that mom, right? So, you know, to be the mom where all the kids come over because I haven't created bonds with the other families, right? In the community. But to me, it was kind of a, it was a, you know, reaction, right? And it was more of just, again, to your point, the protection piece, but I literally thought that was just me. So thank you, sis. <laughs> Not, it, it's not, not you just at you. All. It's not just you. I had a conversation with Hobbs the other day about participation in sports and the things he was interested in. And he was just like, yeah, I wouldn't be comfortable. Like he wants to do wrestling. He was like, I wouldn't be comfortable doing wrestling. Um, and and you know, being all pressed up against people and having my identity. <laughs> because of this particular sport that I'm engaging in and then the the repercussions or the fallout mm -hmm. from that happening and again it doesn't the threat of harm the backlash against trans men in sports is not the same as trans women in That's sports right. so I right. recognize we were talking about materially different things but the fact of the matter is still that you have to be on your guard at all times because you never know what these fools are like. It was like the cisgender girl in Canada, the nine-year-old girl in the shot put competition who had these apparently not even grandparents. Like these people were not even related to anybody who was at the track and field competition. Let's just deal with that first and foremost. But this couple started either, depending on who you believe, harassing the parents of this child or harassing the officials at this track meet about the presence of this pixie cut cisgender child participating in the shopper competition because they thought she was a transgender child cheating nine years old what are we cheating for what, what are, are we getting a, a wheaties you know endorsement deals or are we getting on the podium and, and like what are you talking about but this is what we're dealing with we're dealing with people who feel a sense of entitlement to say what should or shouldn't be happening about your child and now you as as Ngozi rightly you know called out you're now on the defensive you have this fearful response this fear response triggered because now you have to have 
your guard up because you have no idea what's going to come next. I was very protective. And, and I'm sure the two of you as well of who she interacted with as far as her friends, right? Like I, I needed to do the background check, right? Like, you know what I mean? Who's your mama? Like, are you religious? If not, then what are your beliefs? Or what, if you are, then still, what are your beliefs? Like the whole nine. And she, till this day, only interacts with, when she comes home to, you know, with two or three people, like not even, right? Because again, the rest of the 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 community just wouldn't, wouldn't support her so no I was just I was only gonna say yeah I understand like I vet all of Daniel's friends and if anybody says something that's not right they're not coming back and there's been times where Daniel's face is like oh I know they said that wrong you know like and Daniel's like they're never coming back (laughs) it's the worst but I feel so protective and I I remind Daniel like you know, you have the agency to tell, to disclose to anyone, there's no shame in our home. But the second you hear something, ask them, like, don't be afraid to ask someone whether they're truly a safe person or not. And, and maybe in that asking, they'll consider what their beliefs and values are and re-examine what it is that they just said, you know, but I, I'm super protective. So as the parent of a trans athlete, I'm sure you've been seeing the recent spate of legislation across the states attempting to prevent transgender women from playing in sports and being in women-only spaces. How does that make you feel, having already been in this fight? Um, and, and this might not, again, be what you expect me to say, but, and, and I know the work the two of you do, you've been doing it for a long time, right? But there's a part of me where I'm I'm tired. Andrea's tired, right? Like we've been, you know, she's now 21, so almost 10 years, right? Around her or trans um, being able to participate in sports. And so there's a part of me that's just is like, oh, we're still doing this. And I'm I'm a little dis I'm very disappointed, not just a little disappointment where we're still having the conversation. But um, you know, there's also a part of me, and excuse the way I put this, like. Andrea is living her life. We've moved on from that, right? I mean, she's in Brazil right now experiencing this whole queer community in Brazil that is loving her for who she, like she, there's no, you know, there's no setting up guards. There's no nothing. She's going in full throttle and they all love her. And she doesn't even want to come back to the U.S., right? (laughs) She doesn't even want to come back to the U.S., And so it has me thinking like, we're so far removed from that. I mean, removed, but not really removed, but that, you know, I'm, I'm almost, I almost feel this sigh of relief that it's out there in the distance, right? Like, I don't know if that sounds bad, but just being real at this moment. um, It doesn't sound bad at all. And I think it's the reality of like, if you know, trans people, again, this shit show of anti-trans legislation is what they're being forced to participate in right because it's infringing on their rights and who they are but it but it there there's a a broadness to our children right and I remember the first time I met you I know I told you were like what are you talking about Lizette because I was like this is so meta I've been fighting anti-trans sports bands for like years and you're sitting right here like we're talking about it it's like so weird um and you were like what are you talking about Lizette and I was like you there's all these bands and you were like what um 
And I was like, this is meta, meta life. It's just happening. But then I got to spend more time with you and Andrea. And first of all, she puts my Spanish to shame. Like she'll send me text threads in Spanish. And I'm like, I don't know how to respond. I got to respond in English. Like girl is talented, powerful, and like duolingual. Um, but like, you know, there, there's so much more. And I remember we were walking to Urban Outfitters and I was like, Andrea, are you going to run again? And she's like, no, I'm not. And that like, for me was like the hardest thing to hear her say, like, I'm not going to do this thing I love. Um, but, but then hear her say, I actually, I want to do A, B, and C and I have these plans and I'm going to go because again, she's powerful. She's a goal getter. So she's like already setting up for part two of whatever her path leads her to. And, and so regardless of whether she runs or not, she's going to be fire in the world. Right. And so I know that this is behind her, but I have to ask, like, how did that make you feel watching her let go of this sport that she had committed so much time to and like was so passionate about? What was, what was that like for it's, you? It's very sad, very sad because it wasn't the sport itself that caused her, like she didn't get injured, right? And was like, I can't do this anymore. Or she didn't fall out of love with it because of the, the practicing and all the you know effort and stuff and activity related. It was the, again, the bands, the, the, the judgment, the, the, you know, all the naysay, I mean, just all the, all the drama around her, um, you know, or other people not wanting her to run that forced her, and I use that word intentionally, forced her to step off the track. Like it was mentally just wearing on her to the extent, and she would be upset with me saying this, but I think it's important to say, I mean, she developed an eating disorder and, you know, it becomes like, you know, is it, you know, you know, realizing that, you know, this was very much a part of her life and she was passionate about it, but her health was far, you know, I mean, far more important. And so she was forced to walk away from it. And, and, and because of that, um, really kind of developed this, you know, this mental state that, that granted she's kind of come out of, but it was sad. I mean, to be forced to leave a sport that, not even a sport, let's just talk about the thing that you love, the thing that you're passionate about, the thing that she would tell, tell people in articles made her feel free. And you took that from her. And as women, isn't that the story? Right. Always giving up, making the hard choice between the thing that you love and you feel is, it gives you li life, excitement, mm -hmm. joy. And then you're forced to let that go to, to be what everyone says you need to be. Right. And then right. this is where we, you know, this is where the reality of, you know, these, what the far right is doing is that this is, this does not expand the freedoms of women, right? It doesn't, it infringes on all of us. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. And I'm, I'm saddened to hear that Andrea experienced that, but, and that again, is something that so many women deal with, right? These eating disorders, the way we see ourselves in the world, the, the way that they talk about trans women and reduce them to bodies is just deeply inaccurate. Like if you saw Andrea, you would be like, that's such an inaccurate description. Um, and she's beautiful and 
incredible and talented. And I, I often tell people to know our children is to love them. Like if you met our kids, you would be like, <laughs> they came from, I'm like not as exciting as Daniel. He, I'm grumpy. I can be a, like, I can be grumpy, like just, just an asshole. And Daniel's like light and lovely and funny. And like Hobbs is hilarious. And Andrea is the sweetest human in the whole entire world and thoughtful thoughtful and kind. Like when I tell you that Daniel, Daniel, she messaged Daniel on Instagram. Daniel was like, came running into the living room and he's like, Andrea wrote to me. He's like, I love her. Does she know that I'm a fan? <laughs> I was like, Daniel, you can, you can message her back. He's like, I don't know. I'm afraid. Like I feel like I'm going to make a fool of myself, but he's just like adores her. She's a, she is a shiro to so many of our kids. Right. Like, so, you know, it's not, she's not experiencing what so many other women have been forced to experience because of discrimination, because of bias, because of, because of, um, you know, what society has put on us in terms of who we need to be. And, you know, yeah. it's just, it's bullshit. I'm sorry. With a capital B, but you know, I, just to go back to your quite original questions, Stephen, I, I do think, I mean, it is also frustrating, right? That we are still having this conversation, that we are still debating, right? Because I tell people like all the time, sports is not just about win or lose. I don't put all my kids into sports just because we needed a scholarship. I mean, granted, it helps. I got four of them. I mean, anything <laughs> helps, right? Every little bit helps. You are damn just skippy with that. But they're in sports and they're required to be in sports in every season. This is my, and granted, there's not much I like about my ex-husband, but we did agree on this, right? That our, our kids would be in sports every season, at least one sport, because one, it builds character. He teaches them teamwork. He teach them, teaches them how to balance and discipline, right? Because again, when you got practice every day and you got homework and stuff like that, it, it teaches you to organize yourself, right? It teaches you respect, not only for yourself, but for your coach, for your team members. It teaches you commitment, right? I mean, I've had my, my kids, you know, want to sign up for soccer, and then day two, they want to quit. Mm -mm. Nope, you signed up. It's a team sport. You got to be there. So there's so many things. And, and, and you know, mental and, and physical health that teaches them about their bodies and about how to sustain and how to work through challenges. So my, my daughter wasn't in track just because she needed a scholarship or she wanted a scholarship or she wanted to compete and win. She was in it because, again, it was something that, that made her feel good, that taught her so many lessons. And so that's what another part of this conversation and this debate that's so frustrating to me, that we, we are, have this linear thinking about what sports is and what it does, when it's so much more than that. So I, I want to share the story of the friend I lost over... Andrea, and I didn't even know y'all. I didn't know who you were. I didn't know you from a, a, a can of paint. I went on Facebook one day, and this was after my, my, my child came out. So it was probably somewhere 2018, 2019, around the time that that lawsuit was filed. And uh, a friend of mine from law school that I had known for years, like had tried to hook her up with a friend of mine back when we were in law school. We did like a double dating thing, went on to like, went to New Mexico. We just had just such a good time. And we'd gone on, like she'd been married, whatever, whatever, went on with our lives. But I still considered us friends. We were friends on Facebook. We would chat and send messages, whatever. But one day she had posted something about 
how happy she was that these girls filed this lawsuit against this trans athlete. And I immediately pushed back because I was just like, you know, wh- wh- why is that a good thing? Like, you know, no person, no athlete is guaranteed to win. No athlete is guaranteed a scholarship. There are hundreds of thousands of students graduating every year for a few spots every place. And so you're not entitled to that scholarship, cis or trans. If you get it, you get it because of your merit. And they were saying, well, you know, he was a, he was a, and I'm like, oh, she. And then it went down the rabbit hole. You can't tell me that that person's a, a she, if she got a penis, all this stuff. And again, so what Lissette was saying about reducing people to body parts. And it was at that point that I was just like, oh, we can't be friends anymore because you're not even willing to accept that you may have a high to bound position. And there is a more expansive way to look at this issue. And if it's just about my child, my child, my child, well, what about this other parent's child? You know, the, the, the few number of trans athletes in the world, one so happens to be in this particular state that your child's not even in. So you're taking a position against someone else's child when this doesn't affect you at all. And the likelihood of this affecting you is de minimis, slim to nil. And yet with your full throat, with all of your transphobia and all of your homophobia on display, I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't fuck with you. Like I, I can't fuck with you. And I cut off so many people over this specific issue of trans women in sports, because so many people have exposed themselves to be absolute homophobes. And it's one thing to have a legitimate concern about fairness. Sure. But it has to be a legitimate concern about fairness. And all concerns are not legitimate. And it's just hard to have conversations where people think, oh, well, you know, even the, the, the most recent surveys about how you feel about trans women in sports has taken is skewing in the opposite direction because people have this common sense, common sense understanding of what's fair and it doesn't look at the reality of the situation. It's just very bothersome to me. So we were on a panel together. Um, a few months ago at the Black Trans Advocacy Conference in Texas. And one of the topics you were asked about was around redlining. How do you see redlining affecting trans people and their families? So I think for me, redlining is is, is a state of mind and that transcends, that gets executed as it relates to certain actions, right? Around housing, around uh, zoning, around insurance. And so it it's, it does impact trans when, one, because redlining is based on at least current premise around racism. And so when we think about black and brown and those demographics within the queer community, right, that are impacted the most, again, we always talk about the intersectionality of race, right? Um, is it, you know, it can prevent them much like it has historically from being able to live in the communities they wanna live in and, um, you know, being in the neighborhoods they want to be in. So I do think there is this indirect and direct correlation between what redlining is traditionally known to be and the impact it might ultimately have on the queer community. And again, where they want to live in the communities that they live in, right? So if if we say that we, you know, are creating barriers or challenges around whether it's mortgage lending, whether it's, um, again, whether or not they get, you know, the right insurance or not based on skin color or, or identified gender, 
then that becomes a form of redlining, right? That becomes a form of a way of keeping them out. And so a lot of the work that, you know, I'm in the insurance industry and a lot of the work that we do is really understanding what redlining is and how it it has formed or transformed, right? Because we don't really use that word anymore, right? Like redlining is not something, you know, we always think about redlining as being something that happened historically, but it has transformed in so many different ways that it's a lot more subtle in its presentation than what we are used to it being, right? So I always, you know, um, you know, challenge people to think about some of our societal norms and what they're based on. And those societal norms are based on the systemic racism and discrimination that our country was built on. And that includes not only people of color, right, but queer people and all the various demographics that don't align <laughs> with, right, the, the, the influence and the powers that be that, that created our country. And so I guess ultimately what I'm saying is that there is this correlation. And I think we just need to be cognizant of the fact that if we continue down this road of discrimination and recognizing that we want, that our society is trying to keep people out, it's just another form of redlining, right? Whether it's people of color or people in the queer community. So I don't know if that directly answered your question. (laughs) No, it's not. It makes me think about the next question, actually, that I have, because you had uh, you obviously your understanding of redlining and that you intentionally say it's a state of mind because it's what we feel we're capable of attaining often, mm-hmm. which is our own paradigms. So my question to you is as a child of immigrants, I'm sure you were raised differently from the way you're raising your own children. How did that upbringing inform you and like, how is how did you implement things that worked and didn't work when you were raising your four kiddos? Oh, that's a good question. That is a very good question because I'm still dealing with that now, right? Because so you know, and and if if you don't mind, like when my dad, my dad is the immigrant. My mom is not. I mean, she's American in the sense that she was born and raised in Louisiana. My dad from Nigeria, um, Emo State, and so. It's interesting because when he got to the U.S. and he, he in, ha, started having kids and started to raise us, he didn't really teach us the traditions, right, of his culture, right? We were raised in this Western world, right, with this, you know, this society, again, built on racism. Like, because, you know, even when he used to talk to us, like, race was not necessarily a thing. I mean, when you think about Nigeria or African countries, like, race is not a thing. It's more of a U.S., North American kind of societal construct. But however, with that being said, like, we didn't really learn those things. And so now, in his death, he died, he died you know, two weeks ago, um, we are dealing with traditions that we know nothing about. And so I struggle with how do I continue those traditions when they were not even taught to me? How do I get my children to recognize? And I have a son and I might be, we might, I might be spilling too much tea, but I feel comfortable. We out here like that. So we outside, but like I have a son who refuses to appreciate the fact that he's black in a white world because he's, he's been dancing around in this privilege bubble that we created for him. Right. So again, when we think about the traditions and things that we passed down, we didn't pass down any of those things. We just knew that we were in this world and we, you know, we wanted to do better than what our parents had had provided for us. And so in doing so, we we shielded him from discriminatory practices and all those other things that he would have probably been a subject or victim to if we had not. But now 
he's out here thinking he can do no wrong and he's he's out here with with assumed privilege right because it's not really <laughs> it's assumed privilege and so i and, and and so again i'm backtracking here but i'm disappointed that i i wasn't able to impart those traditions on them right to create a sense of awareness for them that they might not have as they grow and develop and getting, you know, go and get into the workforce and be contributing um, members of society. Um, and it's interesting because even though I wasn't able to pass those down, it's through the trials and tribulations that Andrea has experienced, right? Where she is a lot more informed, like unfortunately, right? Unfortunately, because of her experience as a trans person and that discrimination, it creates a, a, a higher sense of awareness around what the society is, where my three sons don't have that. Um, again, that I know I'm going fascinating. And, and, and it's fascinating because, you know, we, we have very similar upbringings in this way in that our patriarch in our family came from someplace else with cultural traditions from that someplace else that didn't necessarily stick because where they landed did mm -hmm. not have any of that around us. So where if we were born and raised in Nigeria, if you were born and raised in Mexico, your upbringing would have been materially different than it was being born and raised here or being raised here where it's American culture. And because you come from a different place, your appreciation of American culture is somewhat diminished, if not entirely over your head, because you didn't grow up in it. So you didn't have the experiential understanding or our parents didn't have the experiential understanding of it, but we grew up in it as first person experience. So we know racism. We know discrimination. We know bias. We know bigotry. We know differential treatment because that was our experience and trying to have our parents understand what we were going through when their upbringing came from a different place was like night and day. Like I, I constantly dismissed my parents because I was like, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what it's like to go grow up here. My parents are like, you're not American. I'm like, the fuck I'm not. You know what I'm saying? Like I was born and raised here. And so I am more American than I am Nigerian. Obviously 53 years, uh, I am now fully aware of how I am as African as I am in the ways that I am. But I'm also aware of, of the many ways my children don't have Igbo. They can't speak it. They have a nominal appreciation of our cultural dishes, of our ways. When my father passed and I went home to bury him, I looked like a jackass trying to do all the things that are the traditional responsibilities of the Opara, which is the first son, as it relates to burying his father. It was just very awkward and uncomfortable. And I went through it. But it would have been so much better had I been raised in the culture to appreciate these mores that people expect me to live up to, but I didn't have any frame of reference for, for doing. And it's funny because you said that situational awareness, like Lisette told me in one of our podcast episodes about how Daniel cannot drive until he masters situational awareness. And it's a thing that we have to impart in our children and Andrea probably has it in spades where the rest of your children do not. And similarly, for, for my children, I've taken the opposite approach. I'm like, you are going to know you're Black as hell in a country that hates Black people. You are going to know what it is to be a Black person in this country and how you have to comport yourself to stay above the fray, to recognize 
what your blackness means in the eyes of other people, but to not be defined by it in terms of what your possibilities are. Like, I'm not going to have you thinking just because you're black, you're going to go to jail. There's no school to pipeline, school, school to prison pipeline for you, because that's just not how you are. You, there is that bubble of privilege, but there's also that importance of letting you know who you are and how who you are will impact what you can or cannot do, at least if you're unaware of it. So I really appreciate that perspective. I'm sorry, go ahead. And and for the white parents that are listening to this podcast, I think that what I want to like highlight in this conversation that we're having right now is for us, there was a deep recognition and understanding that class economic mobility gets you only so far, right? And this is where I think our children benefit from their visibility, from their advocacy, from their self-empowerment, from their pride and assertion in who they are. While their trans identity isn't everything, they also are not ashamed of who they are, right? And they're living in a world freely and openly. I think that that's what we learn, right? Because assimilation and, and, and economic mobility we knew only got us so far. Does it create protections that we get to live in places where are, we aren't impacted in the ways that like poverty impacts people of color? Absolutely. But I think that this shatters that idea of pull yourself up from your bootstraps that you hear a lot of people say, because the reality is if policy doesn't protect you, if society says that you should not exist, it doesn't matter how protected you are, you will have to step outside your bubble in certain spaces. Unless you're like a uber millionaire and then you never have to leave your bubble. But our kids are not uber millionaires. So like, I mean- Not yet, not yet. Not yet, not yet. I'm sorry, take it back. Take it back, take it back universe. But like, you know, there's there's a there's that reality that they have to step outside of their world right like we we create a bubble we do what we can as parents but we have to give them the tools to be safe once they leave this bubble that we've made for them and i think about that all the time and that's where like identity documents become important that's where like all these things that we've worked so hard to attain for our children so that when they leave our bubbles they have the tools necessary to to be safe um, and I just wanted to highlight that because I think for, for people who are listening to this that don't have that background, they're not going to see that. They're not going to understand the nuance of that, right? Of like what it means to step outside of class and still be marginalized. And that and right. that's, the, that's the nuance of racism, right? Is that mm-hmm. there is this, you know, connection to class and, 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 and mobility and money. And- and if I could just say this, and, and I don't know if if I'm just because the three of us were sitting here on this podcast and we have who and we have children who are clear about their identity, right? And I, but I think part of that to your point, Liz, it's that because coming from families of immigrants, right? And that identity component was such a strong um 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 or placeholder for for them and hence our children, right? Like that's where I say like. Andrea's ability to be to to identify not only with who she is as a trans person, but also soak up the identity of her ancestors, right? Of of the like, like you know, what I mean, like her ability to say, "Hey, I am more than trans. What else am I, and how do I bring that into my identity?" Where again, no shade on my other three kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
like, but their ability to, to, to again, whether it's situational awareness, which is a new term for me, I got to look that up, but, but their willingness and their motivation to be like, hey, I'm Nigerian, or hey, I came from Antigua, or whatever that looks like, to soak that in and, and own that, right, and really own that is very different than Andre. And I think that goes back to the fact of your, your point, which I totally agree with, is that when you're fighting for your identity, look. It's all in, right? It's all in. So, okay. So, I'm just gonna call it audible because we have been just flapping our gums, and we could literally Ooh. stay on forever. Exactly. Um, but we really appreciate you joining us today in this conversation. Um, it's been an amazing conversation. Like we didn't hit any of the questions we had, like literally our conversation just went in a whole different direction. And that's the beauty of podcasts sometimes is your guest kind of really kind of dictates what happens. And you're just one of our amazing guests. And you know, we love you. Like you said, you know, we just get a regular. No, no, but before we leave, I do, I wanted Stephen to ask you just this, but quick, quickly. What advice do you have for parents who are on this journey, like who are new, who want their kids to play sports? What what advice do you to have to play for sports specifically, or or or, or, or want to support their trans kiddos and like don't know how, but they 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 want to, right? Like, what's your advice to them? I keep being asked this question now. Um, I'm not always comfortable with my response, but um, if it sucks, we'll just cut it out. Okay, yeah. I mean, my initial thought, because it changes every time, is one, to check yourself, <laughs> right? To check yourself. Yes. Because all have bias, right? We all have bias. And, and maybe you're not intentional on how it shows up, but you need to make sure that you check yourself before you advocate and stand um, in, in place of or on behalf of your child. Because um, that's what I had to do before I could do any work. I had to make sure all, all what do you call it, all minds and I, I whatever that's that term is. Eyes are dotted are and T's are crossed. Uh, no, no, no. It's 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 a Christian reference. So all all hearts and minds are clear. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> clear. Um, but but again, it's not meant to kind of again any shade. It's just a matter of again, as parents, we grow up, we have certain beliefs and certain perspectives, and so. Um, as our, our children try to make their way in the world um, as trans individuals, we just need to be able to allow that to happen and not um, impose on them how we believe. Yay, yeah, I got it right this time. Yes, okay. that was no, I tell parents this all the time. It doesn't make us bad people. It, it makes us better people to do that inside work to break down our own biases. Thousand percent agree. Ooh. Okay, oh you can keep that one in. Thank you. This has been an amazing conversation and goes. Yeah, y'all giving me no prep, by the way. I was like, I didn't know what to expect. And then you threw in the whole redlining. I was like humming a humming a like, what is the, I thought we were just still like talking to shit. Like I thought we were just like <laughs> you got all professional on me. Oh my goodness, Ngozi, this has been an amazing conversation. We are so happy that you were able to join us today on the Parent Advocate Podcast. We are definitely going to have you back as a recurring guest because there is so much more we could have talked about. You know, I am glad to be here. I love you guys. Always will. Um, and yeah, bring me back. Bring me back. Yes, so let's do it. If you can stay on, we are going to our 
next segment, Allies and Assholes, which is probably going to be good. So stick around if you can. Now it's time for our recurring segment, Allies and Assholes, where we highlight individuals or groups that are supporting the LGBTQIA community on the one hand and call out straight up assholes on the other who are trying to move us all back. Lisette, who are we talking about today? Our ally of the week is Lizzo. Lizzo donated 50000 to the Marsha P. Johnson Institute in honor of Pride Month and Juneteenth. Lizzo announced that she would be donating to the LGBTQ plus organization as part of her Juneteenth give back campaign. Lizzo has been vocal about her support of LGBTQIA community for a long minute. And this donation is just another example of Lizzo putting her money where her mouth is. Now, all I can say is that I knew Lizzo was about that life when immediately after the Tennessee drag band, she brought up all those drag performers on stage. I was like, Lizzo, don't give two fucks about what y'all think. And she's going to do the right thing every single time. And here she goes again, doing the right thing by putting up a considerable sum of money to support the Marsha P. Johnson Foundation. I just think that's amazing. Um, if you need to listen to Lizzo's tiny desk that she put out like two or three years ago, when I tell you that she made sure that all genders were represented in her call out to fuck people, Lizzo brought it. And I just adore and love her so much. I got to see her in concert like last month. She's amazing. I just went to her concert last month with Daniel. And when I tell you she did a whole segment with like pride flags, rainbows, all the things. She's amazing. And that is why Lizzo is our ally of the week. Yay! Congratulations to Lizzo. Now on to our asshole of the week. Our asshole of the week is Lance Armstrong. This week, Lance Armstrong had Caitlyn Jenner on his The Forward podcast, to talk about fairness in women's sports. And for about an hour, he and Caitlyn Jenner did everything but talk about fairness. Instead, he let Caitlyn Jenner repeatedly refer to trans women in sports as biological males and fawned over Caitlyn Jenner's accomplishments and Olympic gold medal. And let's not forget that Lance Armstrong was stripped of his seven consecutive Tour de France wins and his Olympic medal and was permanently banned from cycling for doping. And at no point did Lance discuss the science or refer to any statistics or studies or even address the value of inclusion, deferring instead to Caitlin's warped sense of fairness. No, no, just the hypocrisy of like people having advantage over others. And this is why Lance Armstrong is our asshole of the week. Go tell Lance and Caitlin. Well, that's our show for today, folks. I want to thank today's guests, Ngozi and Aji, for spending time with us today. And of course, I'd like to thank my co-host and superstar in her own right, Lisette Trujillo. Thanks, Stephen. I appreciate you sharing your platform with me. And we couldn't do this without all of you. So thanks for tuning in to the Parent Advocate Podcast. And as usual, be sure to like, subscribe, follow, and do all the things you need to stay up to date with everything we're doing here on the Parent Advocate Podcast. If you're thinking about harming yourself, get immediate support. 
please reach out to The Trevor Project and connect to a crisis counselor 24-7, 365 days a year from anywhere in the United States. It's 100% confidential and 100% free. You can get help at thetrevorproject.org. If you'd like to support any of the organizations working actively to support LGBTQ people, please visit the ACLU at action.aclu.org or the Human Rights Campaign at hrc.org. You've been listening to the Parent Advocate Podcast. Tune in again for another episode.